following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Looking this morning in Luke chapter 18, we'll be in verses 35 to 43. Uh, I could have called this uh, the humility of being blind, but I decided we, enough humility. I think we've got it down. We're, the, we're, we're just living incarnation of humility now. Um, the, the, the title slide here is the Messiah, Son of David. I've actually titled the message um, uh, Being Blind. But I like this title slide because uh, it's a reminder that this phrase, Son of David, is messianic. Right? So keep that in mind as, I read, as we read through the, the story here in uh, Luke 18.35. Because um, the, the phrase, Son of David, is important. All right, so let's read. Um, you can follow along as I read. Uh, as Jesus drew near to Jericho... A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Um, this, this, uh, this account is really a summary of a lot of what Jesus has been teaching up to this point. And uh, I could summarize it this way. You can't see until... Well, this is really slow. There it is. Until... I'm going to drag this out. You can't see until... You see you can't. You can't see until you see you can't. Think about that. I'll let you ponder that. Throughout the book of Luke, there has been this theme that only those who realize they are blind can see. Only those who recognize their need for a physician go to Jesus and find healing as the great physician. Only those who realize that they are sinners come to receive forgiveness and righteousness. Only those who know they are lost find entrance into the kingdom. Right? And throughout, uh, especially the journey section, and this, uh, this is the second to last story in what's called the journey section, as Jesus is journeying from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And throughout this section, this theme has come up over and over again. So what, what happens in this story is a, a great summary of, of what we've been seeing over and over again. So if it sounds repetitive, it is, right? But don't throw things at me, right? This is Luke and Jesus doing, not mine, right? And it's repetitive for a reason, because Jesus wants to make sure we get this. Luke wants to make sure we get this point, 
that until you see you can't see, you won't see. Right? Until you know you are blind, you can't find the grace and help you need to get better. Uh, and, and in the stories leading up to this, there's basically three kinds of blindness, three groups of people that we could say are blind. The first group are those who, um, who think they can see, but are in fact blind, right? They are, you could say, blind to their blindness. Uh, that would include people like the Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who keep coming to Jesus over and over and asking, what must I do to be saved? And really what they're asking, as we saw last week, is they're really asking, what else must I do to be saved? Because I think I'm pretty good, right? I don't think I need to do much more, but maybe I missed something, but I think I got this nail because I am basically a righteous person, right? And they're, they're blind to their own uh, blindness. And the most recent story we just saw a couple of weeks ago, the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked that very question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he said, yes, I have kept them all since I was uh, old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. Right? But, but he walks away from Jesus empty. And Jesus says, until you realize you are lost. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right? So that would be one group, and there's many examples. And they come blind to their blindness, and they leave just as blind. Right? Second group are those who know they are blind. Right? And this would be people like the sinners and the tax collectors, those who come to Jesus recognizing that they are uh, in desperate need of Jesus' help. And for those over and over again, they find God's help and mercy. And they find that they are entering the kingdom, even though the crowd keeps saying, uh, you shouldn't, right? You're sinners. You shouldn't. You don't deserve the kingdom. But that's exactly the people that, that find their way in. But then there's a third group that's uh, important to, to note. And this would be those who cannot see the cross, right? Uh, this is the disciples. This is the twelve. These are the followers of Jesus who, who know they're blind, who recognize they need God's mercy and grace, and they have found it. Uh, but what's interesting for them, and we just saw this last week, right? They, they, they're following Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They worship Jesus. But when Jesus starts talking about the cross, where they just go, you know, blind, right? They cannot see the cross. They cannot see how Jesus will work and how he will save them through the cross. And they are blind to that. Um, so we saw that last week. You know, Jesus said, um, everything written about the Son of Man will, by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. After flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. It was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Right? So, the, so it's no accident that right on the, on the heels of that account, uh, Luke puts in this story of the blind man, right? Because uh, it's not just about Jesus doing another healing miracle. It really is about the need that we all have for healing our vision, that all of us uh, are spiritually blind, and that even for the disciples, even for the twelve, even after months of going around with Jesus, there still are things about God's plan and God's purpose, God's primary mission 
that they cannot see. And so if this principle is true, and if Jesus keeps trying to teach it over and over again, that you cannot see until you see you can't, right? We need to make sure we get this lesson, right? We need to be clear about the fact that saved or not, there are areas of spiritual blindness in our life. And we need to be aware of it, right? So let's see what Jesus uh, can teach us. Um, question to start off with this morning is, are you blind, right? Have you ever heard people say that to you? Are you blind? Right? Well, are you blind? <clears throat> well, maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Um, Jesus enters Jericho, and he is getting very close to Jerusalem. And this is very much on the main route, g- getting to Jerusalem. And so as this journey section comes to an end, Jesus is, is drawing ever nearer to Jerusalem. And it says, as he draws near to Jericho, a blind man is sitting by the roadside begging. And he heard a crowd going by, and he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, uh, You get the scenario, and we don't know how big Jericho was at that time. It wasn't probably huge, but... Jesus goes through the town, and there's this mob of people going with him. The beggar is sitting in his normal spot. Uh, his only means of living is begging, and as a crowd passes by, he wants to know what all the commotion is. And uh, notice what the crowd says. The crowd identifies Jesus as what? Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Uh, the crowd understands Jesus to be a famous teacher who comes from the region up north called Nazareth. Uh, and that's how they perceive and understand Jesus. Uh, but, but the blind man has obviously heard of Jesus. He's, we don't know what all he's heard, but he's obviously heard rumors and conversation about Jesus. Uh, and notice what he calls him. He yells out at the top of, his, uh, top of his lungs, and he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And as I said, the, the opening slide, Son of David is very messianic, right? Why would he call Jesus son of David? Well, only one reason. The blind guy believes and perceives clearly that Jesus is the Messiah. What's really startling about this this statement is, uh, for one, it's a bit ironic that it comes from a blind guy, right? Uh, Up to this point in Luke, this, apart from Peter's uh, confession of Christ as Messiah, this is the most direct messianic declaration in the whole book of Luke, right? And it comes from a blind guy, right? I love the irony of that. The guy who's blind is the one who really sees who Jesus is. He gets who Jesus is. And he calls out to him, not just as a great teacher, not just as a prophet, but as the Messiah, the promised one. And only does he cry out to, to him, son of David, but he cries out, have mercy on me. Uh, it's a very bold declaration. And, and mercy in Scripture is always a plea for someone who is in desperate need, who is either poor or blind or under some kind of oppression, who's crying out to somebody greater, more powerful, more significant, be a king or a ruler or a, a leader, someone who has the power and capacity to do something about their, their, their problem. Right? And they're, they're seeking help from one who's powerful enough to do something about it. 
And so in this guy's uh, short declaration, he's stating two huge things. One, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one, the one written about in the prophets, the one that uh, the disciples are still trying to figure this out, right? He sees it clearly. And not only that, but that this Messiah figure is one who comes bringing the authority of God himself to administer mercy upon the weak and the needy. So only does he understand something about Jesus, but he actually understands a great deal about the character of God. That God is a God who longs to help and and minister to and, and heal those who are hurting and broken and in need. Such a different picture from the the rich young ruler we just saw, right? Who comes so full of himself, not seeking mercy, and not understanding who God is as a God of mercy. But this guy sees it. uh, And he, he knows that his only hope in life is the mercy of God. And he sees the Messiah come. And here's, here's the agent, the one who can bring God's mercy to him. And so he doesn't just say, hey, you know, so you suppose somebody could get Jesus for me? No, he cries out. He screams it out. Son of David, have mercy on me. Because he knows that this guy, <clears throat> Jesus, is his only, his only hope. Right? Um, and notice what the crowd, how the crowd responds. Um, those who are in front of, front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Um, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Um, it's, it's great, the, the, the role of the crowd in the story. And it's very typical of how not only the crowd at large saw Jesus, but also oftentimes how the disciples saw him. Uh, the crowd doesn't necessarily see Jesus as the Messiah, right? They see him as a famous teacher. They see him as a significant person coming, uh, bringing you know, a prophecy or a word. We don't know, you know what they thought of him. But, but we do know this. They think Jesus is way too important to waste his time on blind people, right? So you know, they tell him, shut up, be quiet. You know, don't bother the teacher. He doesn't have time for beggars like you. Um, but he will not be stopped, right? He will not be silenced. He says he screams all the louder uh, because he knows that God is merciful and that uh, the Messiah will bring him help, right? And, of course, he's right about Jesus. Uh, he is right about his understanding that Jesus is a, is a God of compassion, that God is a God of compassion. And so Jesus stops and he, he calls him to come. So they bring him through the crowd and he stands before Jesus. And I love the scene. So picture this. The guy's obviously blind, right? Uh, he's not jumping up running after Jesus, right, because he can't see. He's led to Jesus through the crowd, um, he clearly has a problem, right? And uh, brings him right face to face with Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's like, well, come on, Jesus, you know, he's blind, right? You know, do you really have to ask? What do you expect him to answer? Well, you know, I was hoping we could play checkers, right? 
Uh, no, he's blind, right? Um, but the question is important, especially given the context leading up to this, right? Lots of people have been coming to Jesus with lots of questions and lots of needs. But as I said, there's two groups. And the one group come asking, for Je- asking Jesus questions, asking for help, as it were. But what is their question? Well, they come asking, what more must I do to be saved? Right? Many come asking, Jesus, I think I got this figured out. I think I'm good. But, but what am I missing from being 100% righteous? You know, I'm, I'm maybe 99% righteous. Help me get to that last 1%. Right? So Jesus wants to find out where this guy's heart is. Right? And not only that, but, but perhaps even more so, he wants to show the disciples and the crowd that there's a huge distinction between the rich ruler who was convinced he was almost there versus the one who really is almost there. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And the guy unhesitatingly, unflinchingly says, give me back my sight. Right? He does not hide and he's not embarrassed or ashamed by the fact that he is blind. He says, look, I'm blind. I cannot see. The mercy I'm seeking is your healing touch to restore my sight. Right? He knows he's blind. And he knows what he needs is God's healing touch upon his life. Not to, uh, you know, to find that one little thing he's missing from being perfect. No, I am not perfect. And in fact, in Jesus' day, um, if you were blind, it was the very polar opposite of the rich person. Right? They assumed the rich person were, must be righteous because God had so blessed them. Right? Well, if wealth is a sign of God's blessing, what is blindness a sign of? God's curse. Right? But we see in, in, in another gospel where they ask, what did this guy do? To be blind. Right? Maybe not this guy, another blind guy. But what, what was his great sin that led him to be blind? Right? So here's a guy who knows he's unworthy. He knows he's blind. Uh, so Jesus asked the question to make clear the distinction between the blind man and those who think they can see. And Jesus answered and said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And instantly he sees. Um, he is healed. And Jesus says, it is by your faith that you have been made, uh, literally by your faith you have been saved. Right? Uh, of course, it was God's power that healed him, but it was this man's faith that appropriated that healing power. It was because he had such confidence in who Jesus was that he would show him mercy, that God was enabled through Christ to bring healing. And, uh, and literally, it doesn't, sadly, most translations don't translate this, but real, literally it says, your faith has saved you. And I think for this man, his faith was more than just healing faith. It was saving faith. He knew who Jesus was, the Messiah. He knew that he came to bring mercy to lost people like himself. And his faith for Christ to heal his eyes also brought healing to his soul so that he had spiritual eyes spiritual sight and move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And the story ends this way. Um, And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Um, 
he is saved and he, uh, in the same beat, becomes a true disciple. When it says it followed him, Luke uses a technical word that's, uh, that's used for a, a disciple. It doesn't just mean he followed Jesus out of town. It means he bowed his life to Jesus. He made Jesus Lord and King of his life. And he followed Jesus, laying down his own will, his own agenda, and, and taking on his life Jesus' call. Jesus, I will follow you. I will do what you say. And he glorifies God and gives God praise. Uh, He worships God as the one who saved him, who healed him. Um, And I love his witness here. It says that not only that, but the crowd praises God as well. And I, I love this, okay? Two, two minutes earlier, I mean, two minutes, right right before this, what's the crowd doing? Telling him to shut up, right? It's like, don't bother Jesus, right? But Jesus gets over that. He brings the guy. He heals him instantly. And the crowd is celebrating uh, this miracle, right? And I think one of the ironies is this, is that while the crowd believes you know, God's too busy. Well, the crowd has this idea that nobody's quite good enough, right? That especially low lives like blind people and tax collectors could never be worthy of grace, never be worthy of God's help. Right? But when they see it displayed before them, they get really excited, right? Because here's the, here's the picture. If God can help a blind beggar, is it possible he could help me? If God would show mercy to somebody like this, is it possible God would show mercy to somebody like me? And I think for the crowd, there's joy in that moment because there's a glimmer of hope that what God is about is not just the religious elite. But God is concerned deeply about everyday people, sinners, hurting, broken people that society and the world has thrown off as worthless. They are not worthless to God. How many of you love movies where the underdog wins? I love those movies. Why? Why? Because I'm I'm the underdog, right? Right? If if there's hope for losers, there's hope for me because I'm a loser. So we like those kind of movies, right? Um, so that's a story but let's back up just a little bit and, and, and ask the question do we see how we are blind and I think in, in this story there's four ways that, that um, we, can, we can think about our own blindness um, and the first one is this and this is four questions to think and kind of ponder first question Uh, Do we really see Jesus? Do we really see Jesus? One of the dangers in our life is that we we assume that knowing the right answers about Jesus is the same thing as seeing him. We, We think that if we have our theology all worked out, it's the same as seeing him face to face. Now, I love theology. If you want to argue about theology, I love debating theology. Just, be, just, just know, though, that I always win, right, in my own mind. Right? 
Um, right? But right understanding of who Jesus is is not the same as seeing Him. I mean, really seeing Him. Because seeing Him like that is a picture of intimacy and communion and fellowship. Um, Do we really see Jesus fully and clearly? Well, Paul says this uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Right? Jesus, uh, Paul says that while we're on this earth, we see Jesus as in a mirror dimly. Now this doesn't really make a lot of sense to us if we're picturing the kind of mirrors we have in our day. When I look in the mirror, I see the exact representation of my face, sadly. Right? Can't change it. It's just there, right? But in, in Jesus' day, they didn't have glass mirrors. Their, their mirrors were made out of polished bronze. Right? So they get bronze, they would polish it as highly as they could, and there would be a reflection. But if you're, it's kind of like if you're, if you're old enough, you remember the old shiny, smooth hubcaps? like all the alloyed ones now, but the old shiny ones, right? And you would wash your car, and the, the trick was to get those hubcaps just shiny, and you could see your reflection in it. But it was not a perfect reflection, right? It was seeing dimly. Well, Paul says, now we only see Jesus dimly, but then we will see him face to face. Now only in part, but then I shall know fully. The reality is we, we, we do not see Jesus as fully and clearly as, as we will one day. Right? We are in many respects blind, uh, or at least uh, we need glasses, right? Maybe not completely blind, but we need glasses to really see Jesus. Um, so does this mean we just kind of say, well, it's just kind of the way it is, and we, we can't see him so we don't have to worry about it? Well, I don't think so. I think Scripture tells us over and over again that we should long to see him more. Right? We should be aware of the fact that what we understand and perceive of Jesus is dimly, is inadequate, is blurred. Right? Do you want to see him more? I hope so. Right? I hope that is a desire of your heart. And you'll never have that desire if you don't realize you don't see him clearly. That there's more to Jesus that he wants to reveal of himself to us. Paul again in Philippians says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I long that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may have a share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Um, we should long to see more of Jesus, right? Uh, and a good first step is to know we are blind and say, God, I want to see more of you. I want to see more of your face. I want Jesus to be more and more real in my life. Um, day by day, you know, we, we send off a whole slew of high school kids who graduated. Um, so many of those kids go off and drift away from Christ because they have no clear, real vision of who he is. And the same thing can be true in our own life. We can lose sight of him, and it becomes just religion and ideas, and it's not real. 
pray that Jesus would open our eyes and that he would become more real to us. A second thing. Uh, are, are, we, are we clear about our own blindness? About our own blind spots, right? Are, are, we, are we fully aware of how self-deceived we are? Right? That we do not see our lives as it really is. Does everybody, everybody get that? Right? Here's a great test of this. Uh, how many of you remember the first time you, you heard your own voice like on a recording? Or more, even better yet, the first time you saw yourself on video. Right? Remember when I was, and I'm old enough, I actually outlived video. Right? So when I was first uh, in Bible college way back, video was a pretty new thing. I mean, especially like home video, right? And uh, my preaching professor was cutting-edge technology, and he'd set up this, this studio where when we preached our sermons, they would videotape it, right? And... Um, which meant I had to go through the torture of watching myself. And it was the first time I'd ever seen myself and really heard my voice you know, coming at me from a TV screen and having to watch myself, right? And it was the most horrible, painful thing. And I've never done it since, honestly, since it's been a long time. Because that person standing there was not me, right? And, and the reality is when one of the reasons we, when we hear our voice or see ourselves is because the voice that runs in our head, right, we embellish greatly. Long before Photoshop, right, we're Photoshopping our life, right? And, and who we think we are and how we hear ourselves and how we imagine ourselves being projected to the world, I'm telling you, is way better than the reality. Okay, sorry. Sorry. It's just the truth, right? Because we imagine ourselves as much more than we are. Do we realize who we really are, right? Or do we at least acknowledge the fact that we're probably pretty blind to who we really are? Right? Jesus says the first step in, in seeing is knowing we're blind, right? Uh, one of the most important things we can ever do as a Christian is to just daily be reminded of this truth. I am not what I think I am, Right? And that goes both directions, right? There are people who are so, so convinced they're a sinner and they're so beating themselves up and they're so down on themselves and they're so tormenting themselves with guilt. That's not you either, right? It's not you either. Uh, we need to see ourselves and our life as God sees us. And God sees us as desperately wicked, sinful, fallen people who rebelled against him and hated him but he also sees us as cherished objects of his love and affection, who he values more than anything in the universe. Right? We need to see those things. Um, and we at least need to see that we don't see it. Right? We, need to, we need to be aware that we all have significant blind spots. Right? And like this blind man, I don't know that he knew what he didn't see. Right? That's not so important. What's important is that you know you don't see. And the daily, and I think that's where confession needs to be an important part of our daily discipline. Um, coming before God and saying, God, I don't know what I did wrong, but I'm pretty sure I don't see the stupid things I do like you see it. Right? 
And I'm willing to admit that I'm not, I'm not as righteous as I, as I think I am. Third thing, uh, do we really see, do we really know and believe how much God wants to give us mercy? Okay. I love that, that this guy, this blind man, had such a clear vision of Jesus as Messiah, but he was not cowed by that. He wasn't intimidated by that. Instead, he was encouraged by that because he knew something of the heart and character of God. I think one of the great blind spots that, that, that affects us as Christians is we really don't see how deeply God loves us. Right? We, we just cannot believe, and I know for my life, most of my life, I just, I just can't imagine, I can't believe that God could love me as much as he claims to. Because I wouldn't. Right? Right? I wouldn't. And oftentimes I don't. Do we understand God's heart towards humanity? Right? Uh, Psalm, David writes in Psalm 86, he puts it this way, but you, O Lord, are a, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, I don't think we can spend too much time uh, trying to sharpen our focus and our vision on the depth of God's love toward us. Because um, the problem is if we, only see, if we only see our miserable state, but we're not too convinced uh, he will do much about it, uh, we're in serious trouble. Um, we need also to be absolutely convinced that um, he wants to do something about it, desperately. Right? Uh, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, there's not one single account where somebody comes to Jesus asking for help and he turns them away. There are those like the rich ruler who come to Jesus asking for help and they leave with nothing, because they, they asked for nothing, right? They didn't ask for real help. They only wanted Jesus to confirm that they were all that they thought, right? He couldn't help them. But every person in, in, in the New Testament who comes asking Jesus for mercy finds help, right? Even insignificant beggars. Believe me, Jesus is, cares about you. And if you go to him ever asking for help, he wants to give you mercy. Now, sometimes he doesn't do it the way you want. I hate that, right? Uh, I got my own plan, and I know how God could best help me. He may not help you that way, but he will always show you mercy. He will always bring to you his compassion. Right? He may not do it on your time schedule, right? Sometimes God is crazy slow. He is never indifferent. He is never uncaring. Right? He wants to help you if you come to him asking for help. Fourth thing. Um, do we see the cross? Now this seems kind of obvious and, and you might think, well, of course I see the cross. It's everywhere. We put it on our church buildings I have it on my neck, you know. I mean, I don't. You, some of you do. You know, we we see the cross everywhere, right? 
But it's amazing to me how blind we can really be to the cross. Like the twelve, like the disciples, um, who just did not see the cross. Right? They saw Jesus, they didn't see the cross. And uh, probably you wouldn't be here if you didn't see the cross at some level. And most of us see the cross as the door, as the entryway into salvation. Right? And certainly you need to see that part of the cross, that it's how we get our sins forgiven, how we enter into a relationship with Christ. But do we really see how the cross is, is vital as a center part of everything that we do as a believer in Christ? Right? To trust in Jesus is ultimately to trust in his full and complete work on the cross and in the resurrection. And just to give, give a picture of this, and, and I'm going to share our last Lahu training uh, up in Maasai. I was teaching on this very subject, and I spent a whole week talking about the centrality of the cross. And I did it through stories. So the first story I went through was God as a king and how we human beings as his loyal subjects rebelled against him and, and rejected him as king and overthrew his kingdom. And, and when we did that, we fell under Satan's kingdom. So I went through that whole thing and, and uh, through all the scripture of how we did that. And I talked about how Jesus came and the cross was necessary to change our hearts from rebellion to those kind of hearts that wanted to follow God as our king. They wanted to be loyal subject to him as king. So I went through that. So, so you got that. Got the problem. Solution is the cross, right? They got it. Great. Perfect. So we went through it again, and we talked about God as a husband and us as an unfaithful wife and how we gave our love to all these other loves and we committed adultery and were unfaithful and how it was only in the cross that Jesus could restore that broken relationship and repair our unfaithful love to God. They, they said, yeah, got it, the cross, yep. So in the third story, I went through the, pro, the, the, the a father-son, you know, how we were like the prodigal, a rebellious son who rejected our father and went far away and scorned him as a father. And how, you know, uh, Jesus is the elder brother who at his cost, at his own cost, the cost of his own life, brought us back. And unlike the elder brother in the story of the prodigal, Jesus willingly made us joint heirs with him through the cross, right? Third story, and this because I took four days to do this, okay? I just did it in like three minutes. It took four days, right? So I went in great depth, lots of Bible, lots of scripture. And then the last one, the prodigal son, they were still having a hard time getting that the cross was the answer. So I drew up the biggest cross I could draw, huge cross, right, Joshua? Big cross. And... Uh, I said, okay, you got it. I said, okay, yeah, the cross. The cross is the answer, right? So I raced everything on the board. And no kidding, five minutes later, I reviewed. I said, so what's the problem? We're rebellious against God. Amen. Praise God, you got that. What's the solution? Jesus. Good, okay. What did Jesus do to solve the problem? And I just get these blank faces. All of them, just blankness, blankness. Finally, one of them said, He's wise. And right then I just wanted to shoot myself in the head. I thought I must be the worst teacher ever, right? I must be the worst teacher ever. And I just, I wanted to quit right then, right? Uh, but the truth is, the cross is not that obvious, right? Uh, we are not naturally wired to see the cross. It takes God healing our vision 
to see its role in its place. Right? The disciples, after Jesus had said it over and over and over again, could not see the mission of God on the cross. And the reality is it's way too easy in our life right, to give lip service to it, but in reality to be blind to the significance and the role of the cross in our life. Right? That every day we need to come before the cross and see its transforming power at work in our life. The only way our rebellious, stubborn heart will be changed, the only way our blindness will be healed, is through the cross. Right? It's through the cross, through the work of Christ. He restores our vision, as Isaiah says, but through his wounds we are healed. Right? We need to see the cross. Um, I'll just kind of do this quickly to end, but there's, there's three clear marks. If these things are true, if our vision is healed, if we are seeing clearly, just like this guy, three things should be true of us. One, we should be true followers of Christ, where he is Lord over our life. Secondly, we should be giving glory to God, uh, daily worshiping him as we experience his mercy. And lastly, we should... We should, our life should be a witness to those around us, giving them reason to praise. And they should look at us and go, wow, God could save him. God could do that in his life. There's hope for me, right? right. Um, do we have that kind of faith? Right? Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Um, how do we know we have that kind of faith? Well, I would suggest one of the ways we can see if we have that kind of faith, if we see as this blind man saw, would be this. Um, what is our prayer life like? This man desperately cried out, screamed out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, that is an impassioned prayer for help, realizing I have no other options but Jesus, he, and I am not going to let him pass by. I am going to make sure I get the help I need, the mercy I need. He cries out to Jesus. Right? Do we pray like that? Or is for us prayer a kind of painful duty, an exercise in filling some requirement that we know we're supposed to do? but we don't really think we need because we do not see our own desperate need. Or we see our need, but we don't see God's heart and his, his willingness to show mercy. So we don't pray. And the sad reality is where this guy had no other options. We have too many options. Right? We have too many other places we can turn to get help. So we don't turn to God in prayer and seek his mercy. Right? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.